natural wine doesn't have a proper definition. Everyone disagrees on what it Craft means. But that yeah. exactly, and that's what that means. It's like open to interpretation, which can be good. You can do all sorts of different things in that. It leaves it to be a bit flexible, but it also means that it can be open to manipulation mm-hmm. and exploitation because people are like, well, no, but there's no definition. So it is. It is whatever we say it is. Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Cryomalt. With over 25 years in the field, Cryomalt are dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. They are your premium brewing partner and they are proud sponsors of this. And this is Brews News Week, our regular wrap-up of all that has made news in beer this week. I'm your host, Pete Mitchum, and joining me to take a good hard look at the news, the views and the issues are the founder and editor of Australian Brews News, Matt Kierkegaard, and Ace reporter and senior journalist, Claire Burnett. G'day, guys. Morning, hey, Pete. Pete. How are we travelling up there? Shout out, hello to all our friends in Sydney mm-hmm. or New South Wales or wherever the Iron Curtain has come down on <laughs> <laughs> whenever you're listening to this. Well, uh, yeah. Oh, We're all taking it in turns, aren't we? It's, yeah, um, everyone's still wearing masks up here apparently till today, but, you know, I don't think anyone who is, an- when you see what's going on around the country, anyone mm. who's anti-masked and things like that, it, it does get a little bit silly. Like, you, you, you can see the silliness, you can see where you can poke holes in the rules where, you know, I went to a pub the other night and when you're seated, you could take your mask off, mm. but then when you got up to order, you had to put your mask on, even if it was only two or three feet, you know. Um, Do you guys get up to order? In occasionally at, at 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 the bar, depending on really? the, yeah. depending That's on so the old school. <laughs> so this is well, this is the development in Melbourne. I um um nowadays you just you've got a QR code on your table and you just yep. zap that. It brings up the menu. You order, pay, and they drop it off to you. Well, a lot you know, of places, we're, a, we're a few years behind you. In no, a lot of places respect. have that. But I was yeah. down at the Scratch, which is a tiny little mm. bar, um, and probably doesn't have the to the resources to do that. Um, then again, my 82 year old father had to get rid of his very very old flip phone oh, uh, this week. He didn't get rid of it though, did he? he should keep that. Oh uh, yeah, it wasn't like a. They're indestructible. You can't actually you can't physically get rid I think of it. It was oh, a yeah. razor. Yeah, they will oh, always wow. exist. They will always exist. Them. But um, and. <laughs> Because he couldn't check in anywhere with it, so oh yeah, you know, it's a uh, which living I think is really harsh. Because what if it is an older person that can't use a phone? Like that's hard work. Well, it, it was certainly hard work, um, and because <laughs> I can get away saying this, because there is absolutely no way he will work out a podcasting app um, <laughs> to, to so ever hear this. Um, <laughs> and, get away with it. Yeah, uh, and I could probably speak about him on radio because mm. uh, maybe his friends would listen um, if I was ever on radio uh, talking mm. about him. But yeah, no, I can get away with it. But yeah, it was hard work <laughs> showing him. Um, so in the end, I just activated the voice activated features so he could just sort of say. Hey, Google. Oh, <laughs> my God. I tried to teach my mum that and she was not having it. She was like, no, definitely not. Talk Just tell me, where the, tell me where the phone is. <laughs> tell me where the text bit That's is. I don't need any of this other shit. Yep. Anyway. Um, yeah, if, you, if you've grown up and you've watched enough episodes of Star Trek and that sort of thing, you, you, you know not to trust any, you know, yeah. computers or voice activated anything. Exactly. <laughs> Dave. <laughs> What are you doing, Dave? A bit of news to get through? Yes, we have, actually. So let's cross live now to the Brews News Media Centre for a wrap-up of stories making news in beer this week. And Claire, we will begin with something of a a CB clean-out. Indeed. So we kind of expected it. We've heard of a few, um, but Asahi has confirmed some job losses following the merger. Uh, with CUB. About 150 roles were made redundant following the merger, it's been reported. Um, and we've obviously seen a few major ones. So um, chairman of uh, Sai Oceana, he left last year. Um, 
John Finney, he joined Newstead. He was the CEO of Pirate Life. We wrote a story about it last week. Um, so it's a little bit of a case that, you know, there was a lot of duplication of roles and things like that. So they were just doing it, yeah, as you say, a little bit of a clear out. So not totally unexpected, um, but we did get some interesting comments on that one um, about, you know, as you'd expect, about bi- big business and efficiencies and all that kind of stuff. But it is interesting um, because the BA is very keen on telling everyone how... Um, useful the big brewers are to the economy and how they're big job creators and they are they absolutely are don't get me wrong um but yeah people do like to point it out um yeah, when things like this happen <laughs> you know I, I think it's very very funny uh, yeah having watched the the craft beer industry for you know 20 years um and going back to the early days craft beer is better because this we don't throw you know malt water hops and yeast you know we only use the good stuff we don't sort of do any of this high-tech trickery and industrial stuff until we do and you know um we've seen um you know you to, to just say oh this is a hallmark of a big brewery let's wait till some of the small breweries start you know acquiring and we've oh, already started merging. seeing yeah, and, and yeah. start merging and <laughs> this is where you know when you talk about the efficiencies that come with growth and the efficient and the synergies that come with merging, you don't need two sales reps in an area um, unless you're really big um, brewery. And, you know, it, it's on a much bigger scale, but let's hold off the judgment about craft beer is better because we don't sack people when you just maybe get away with a little bit easier because yeah, you're not a public company numbers, you don't yeah. have to announce it you don't have uh, mainstream media interest in it um yeah, so um yeah and, but as you said in the article not really unexpected mm-hmm. that's where the, the the value add comes from um you know when you merge two head offices you don't need two accounting departments you don't mm-hmm. need two fully staffed hr departments you're going to lose a little bit of um numbers here and there and at the end of the day turnaround is fair play if you go back to you know 1913 or whatever when Carlton and United Breweries was first formed it was you know it, it, exactly the same thing would have happened they you know they took they combined the the Shamrock Brewery and McCracken's and the Richmond Brewery and Abbotsford Brewery and all the Victoria Brewery um, and I'm sure they didn't keep all of the you know the people then so it's you know Okay, and and don't forget, like you know, in in the craft beer world, um, or, you know, small brewing world, um, which is probably more appropriate these days, given that, as I've said, we live in the post craft world. Um, you know, the, the the smaller breweries, they're looking for efficiencies, and they are looking at ways that uh, they can do it. And you know, one of the arguments that small breweries make in the Independent Brewers Association makes is that to make a million liters, I think when I last calculated it, you know, the average number of jobs created to make a million litres in a smaller brewery is around about 25 versus the 0.3 that Cooper's Line and CUB need to make the same million litres. But that's also 20 wages that need to be spread out across the cost of that million litres. And it's why craft beer is more expensive. You know, it's, it's one of the reasons that craft beer is more expensive. And as consumers want cheaper beer, there is going to be, you know, as... Um, I, I, in the chat I had with um, Steve Jeffers last week, you know, I talked about I think craft beer has a much wider reach, but it's got a much shallower reach than it did in the you know, simpler we are a craft beer revolution, you know, 10, 15 years ago, where there were fewer breweries, the ownership structures were more clear, um, it was easier to have a deeper passion for your provenance and how the beer is made and all of those sorts of things. I think as, as craft beer expands, 
people don't want that level of depth. Um, you know, they want things to be easier, they want things to be convenient, they want things to be cheap, and there will be increasing pressure on smaller breweries who can't enunciate a very, very clear brand promise that justifies their expensive, their more expensive product to find synergies. So, yeah. Um, and that product, as we've learned, uh, doesn't even need to be restricted solely to beer. Um, Moondog <laughs> has launched seltzer dispensers. Yeah, this is an interesting one. There are a few really interesting projects. I don't know if you um, saw it the other week, Pete, about um, the manufacturing modernisation fund. So breweries and brewing industry um, businesses, they got upwards of $5 million um, through this MMF fund. And Moondog was one of them. And we sort of got like a rundown of all the projects and things like that. And so we picked a, some of the super interesting ones and, and Moondog was, was a really interesting one. Um, so, f- so clearly their, their seltzer brown fizzer is doing really well. Um, and they've got $350,000 from that fund um, as, as a co-funding thing to um, develop this technology, which basically means that they can put dispensers in bars uh, to dispense fizzer or potentially other seltzers and um, ginger beers and ciders and things like that. And it's, reasonably mobile you can move it around and things like that but then you obviously have to plumb it in when you get there um but they were just like it they, it was a really sensible business case for the whole thing they were like well we don't want people taking beer off taps to put seltzer on because you know we're a brewery we sell beer why would we want that um instead why don't we just get this extra thing however not in completely originals because i'm pretty sure two bays do their own dispensing um for their gluten-free beer they oh, do that they? yeah, they, oh, they're, yeah they're dispensing yeah. but dispensing did, this is interesting because uh, as we watch seltzer grow it was interesting that seltzer wasn't being put on tap and you know i had i'd heard various arguments for why that was one it's you know we've only got so many taps and seltzer people are happy to drink seltzer from a can um whatever but when you dug a little bit deeper into this it was seltzer is a thing that has multiple flavors so it is much more like the the, the soft drink where you either want coke or you know um, pep, lemon or whatever but you can't give up that many taps for it whereas this dispenser system they can make it stronger and then just water it down with the um you know water it down in the tr- true sense yeah, as opposed yeah. to the pejorative sense, they can post-mix it the way that you do. Let's say you buy your Coke syrup or your lemon syrup or your your whatever. Um, So the syrup is an X percentage and then you water it down. Yeah, I think it's like 17% and someone was like, ooh, I'd love a 17% cider. No. Yeah. Well, it's probably like, it's probably uh, seltzer, yeah. There are those who would. Um, Well, the other advantage for the the supplier too is that you're not, um, you can make a lot more in a in a much smaller space. So yep. distribution, storage, all that sort of thing, you have advantages. But the other thing too is that you're selling it to somebody who's then also got to pay to add their own water and presumably carbonate it um, at the at point of yeah. Distance. Yeah, and it's just and seventeen liter corny keg, I'd imagine, rather than the um, fifty liter or you know the the yeah. the, the bigger kegs. Um, it's it's very it's same as um, you know post mix always has been there are conveniences I, I do actually wonder from a quality control point of view um, because anyone who's ever had post mix you know the, the syrup based soft drinks you wonder how it accurately different. it pours it tastes different well it, it, it tastes mm. different but how accurately it pours because mm. sometimes it's sweeter sometimes it's less yeah. and it relies on the the mix mm-hmm. and how that will go for the consistency of the alcohol 
in the point of service because alcohol has other considerations. You know, yeah. if you just get a really sweet post mix, yeah, I don't not really fan, but mm. whatever. With alcohol, it can be a little bit different. But yeah, you could tell. You could Again, definitely this, tell about more alcohol. This is one of the, these stories that uh, is fascinating to watch the mm. comments. Um, Pe- loads of people commented on it. It went crazy. Lots of people were really excited about it. Yeah. You know, who, who were probably not our not quite yeah. core Brews News mm-hmm. industry audience. You know, because we once it goes on Facebook, stories find their own audience, which mm-hmm. is one of the reasons we don't sponsor stories on because we want to see where this lands. Mm-hmm. Um, because the algorithm works, and this got out beyond you know our usual <laughs> Bruise News readership, which yeah. was really interesting, um, without pushing it out to them. But then there was also a lot of you know I got some interesting texts from people going, "How is this good for the industry?" And, so, and I, you know, the beer purist that still resides <laughs> deep in my heart um, gets that. <laughs> but you know, this is from a business point of view, as we are seeing. Brewers get into seltzer and, you know, craft brewers get into, indie brewers get into seltzer. You're going, well, this is really good business. This Mm. is innovation in the category. It's not innovation in the sense of creating something completely new. This is, if if we want businesses to be vibrant and survive and, you know, not everybody doing the match racing of seeing who can make the haziest hazy beer and then the, you know, pastriest pastry stout. Yeah, that's it. This is what... We're going to see. And um, I would say that they're not necessarily cannibalizing their standard beer drinking audience by any means. You see the audience. We, yeah. <laughs> we weren't cannibalizing our readership no, we by posting a story on it. We found, you know, they're not going to come back to us for other stories because, mm. but it was interesting to see that it did find there is a yeah. market out there for it. It is exactly. significant. Um, a little bit of me dies every time someone <laughs> drinks one, you know, like an angel <laughs> loses a. <you know. laughs> um, but oh, again, oh that's, that is the little purist that still yeah. lives in, in yeah. me. But from the professional observer who wants yeah. a vibrant industry. Yes, if you and if you look in, at it impartially, very clever way of doing it. If, Why not? Well, look, again, if you're going to criticize Moondog for, if you're going to criticize the big guys for White Claw, you have to criticize Moondog, but when you speak to Moondog and when you watch it, you sort of mm. see the number of people that are embracing, you know, how is this any different from as, as I said just dumping a bucket mm. load of lactose into a beer and calling it you know, funky. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> not not too many brewers uh, grind their grain by hand anymore, and not too many of them, you know, stir oh, the well the, the I, brew with a mash paddle. So I, it's I see. Yeah, I know where you're going. Development. I would still say that. No, see, I I still say that qualitatively, there's you know, there's a difference between using technology to make your process more efficient, and you know, again, one of my arguments was always. Um, in, in the early days of craft, the thing that made craft a revolution and exciting and, you know, a, um, for want of, of a better term, a noble beverage, you know, it, it was a naturally occurring, it was, it was a, like a historic natural beverage, like wine, wine occurred naturally, beer was something that was malt, wood, hops and yeast. As we became, re- I, I don't even really include spirits in that to an extent, um, because it was highly industrial. You know, it was industrialized to distill something, but it was still in its pure form. There is a level of overcoming the flavor of distilled spirits that you know, like young drinkers, and you'd, you know, you have you you have to learn to appreciate the flavor. You have to come to the flavor. Modern new beverages 
are chasing easy palates for one of a of a better term. So they're, they're they're sweeter, they're less bitter. You know, they they've become very adept at hiding some of those harder flavours that naturally occur in in alcohol and fermentation. Um, which it, it, again, that's a very qualitative, subjective thing. But yeah, so I, I look at modern techniques to um, standardise process versus you know, manipulating the flavour of things to try and find younger, you know, or, you know, people who don't like bitterness, um, you know. In those if you've got a 750, you know, capacity uh, venue, isn't it cool to have 350 of them in there because you make really good beer and the other 350 go, oh, that's this seltzer thing and, and then you've got a full venue. But that's and, bus- and, and uh, again, absolutely. yeah, and, and that's business. absolutely the business thing. You know, the, the one also person means who doesn't drink Selling beer. a shitload of seltzer means that you can then uh, you know, spend more money innovating on your, your beers and we can get back to, you know, Henry's Girths and Ford and, um, mm-hmm. you know, Jumping the Shark and all those sorts of, you know, the, the fun stuff that, that Moondog sort of, you know, cut their teeth on. Mate, if seltzer... Subsidizes a cracking pilsner. I'm, that's the thing. Are you willing you know, to accept it? I, I, in my old age, I'm becoming much more uh, mellowed out. Uh, well, um, pragmatic. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. yeah. All right. We'll allow that then. But there's still that young bolshy craft here, sort of with the fist He's rays. annoyed at everything. <laughs> yeah. well, well, is that the old or is that the young? Oh, it's a bit of both. And to all our New South Wales listeners, uh, mm. sorry for mentioning uh, venues that can have 750 people in them. <laughs> sorry, um, but there's an industry plea for New South Wales support in the latest lockdowns, Claire. Yes, yeah, so actually, uh, this was earlier in the week. So the Nighttime Industries Association, which um, has a load of uh, businesses, dozens of businesses in um, mainly Sydney CBD, um, they were asking for some immediate government assistance. And it's kind of been provided. So uh, just yesterday, I believe Scott Morrison announced a series of packages for states, for cities, etc. that are that are having to go back into lockdown. It includes a few things like uh, jointly funded payment of 1500 to 10k a week for businesses that can demonstrate a 30% decline in turnover. Uh, small business supports grants program expanded and 25% of uh, payroll tax been waived for businesses and that's in New South Wales. So actually they have responded to um, calls from the industry to do something about this. Some issues with obviously as there always will be um, with some of the measures in the package. Um, you know, how do you mean to demonstrate 30% decline in turnover like from last year from the week before from last year was terrible <laughs> like but it, it's all very interesting how they try and determine this I know there was a lot of criticism during COVID about you know especially for new new businesses that hadn't even been open the year before and couldn't demonstrate that you know they lost 50% of revenue or whatever it was at the time um, so it'd be interesting to see how much we need these packages going ahead uh, obviously it's not great in New South Wales, possibly Melbourne, maybe here, we don't know. Um, But, I mean, that's the problem, isn't it? You know, you don't know. Um, But perhaps it's, what, July now? Maybe they could have come up with this six months ago if we're going to keep going back into lockdown. Either way, it's a good thing. It's a good thing for businesses. We'll we'll see how it goes. Exactly. Um, And speaking of good news, Good Land Brewing Co. has opened in Trelgan. (laughs) Ah, uh, and I kept calling it Trelagan as well. So, uh, and Jimmy was too nice to say, "Claire, you're completely talking shit." <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I put this one on. Trelgon. Trel. I can't do it. Just say Gippsland. Yeah, I'll say Gippsland. Um, and the, Are you I sure put it's this not Gippsland. Oh, sugar is it? Well, it's, is it GIF or GIF? Oh, you know? don't do this to me. Anyway, <laughs> Victoria. 
<laughs> there you go. I can say Victoria. Um, anyway, yeah, Jimmy Greckelberg, um, he's written into the, the show before because we chatted to him about um, IP named. Oh my God, stop. <laughs> You're the <laughs> absolute worst. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> I'm bad enough as it is. Right, Jimmy then. There Jimmy. you go. Jimmy. <laughs> Jimmy but um, it was some interesting, it was a nice one. Obviously, great stuff that they've opened. Um, difficult times for everyone at the minute. Uh, but they're open, they're alive, it's happening. Um, they were supposed to open last year. Uh, and then, uh, then Jimmy was like, this is a bad idea to open in the middle of a lockdown. <laughs> Good decision. Um, but... For what some really interesting uh, comments came out, this one from Jimmy, particularly in light of um, quality assurance and how they wanted to have that from day one. They've got lab testing and things like that. For for a new brewery, that is quite out there. So yeah, kudos to them. And you know, I think what he said about uh, you know having consistent quality product and branding in the industry and how that affects the wider industry as well. I think that was um, just a really interesting point and to be cognizant of the wider industry when you are just at the pointy end and really struggling to get your brewery open um you know well done to him uh, and congrats and hope it all goes well well i'll say at the moment we are but possibly not but if we are we will um heading off to use up a credit um in very east gippsland mm. uh down towards lakes entrance so we'll drive through trailgan uh for a two-day getaway and uh so i will be popping in and visiting goodland Oh, brewing. beautiful. Post some pictures, Pete. I'd love to see I it. shall do. Nice one. Um, not If I kept driving even further around the coast, I would end up at the Great Barrier Reef, which um, <laughs> received some good news from Ballistic. Yes. Yeah, so um, this was just a media release that we posted earlier this week, I believe, um, that Ballistic Beer Co. has launched a new range of reef beers and 10 cents from every can sold uh, at the, their Whitsundays. What was that, Bagara that they bought? Was it Bagara? Bagara. Oh, Bagara, when they bought Bagara, so uh, 10 cents every from every can sold at the Wint Sunday's uh, ballistic venue uh, will be donated to local Ellie Beach charity Eco Barge Clean Seas. Um, interesting one. Interesting one, because when I first saw it, I assumed it was a partnership with our good friend James Grujon um, uh, at uh, Good Beer, Good Beer Co. Co., who's mm. had uh, who had the Great Barrier Beer for some time, and apparently came as a bit of a surprise to him when it was launched. So yeah, there's a little bit of a story there, but you know, it's a uh, it's one of those spaces you can't mm-hmm. trademark ideas. Um, no. I don't think I've had a quick look. I didn't have a full analysis, um, but I don't think anyone's trademarked the beer. No, not well, that that would. No, no, but the, the more charity, the better. Is is that what you're saying, Matt? Uh, well, I, I, or, or should everything go through an, an established beer? Well, charity? Well, uh, again, so so long as the amount that's raised for charity, uh, yeah. as as we've nailed our colours to the mast previously, you know, if you're if you're marketing something that goes um, to charity that purportedly goes to charity, um, I think you know the the cost of that is that you let yeah. everyone know how much has been raised. That's it. You've got a greater responsibility towards being transparent and being willing to discuss that mm. because this is for a charity, this is this is for a not-for-profit, not and you are using their name and their cause 
to sell your own beer. Um, whether, I mean, so it's only 10 cents, so obviously they'll be getting some profit from it. Some people say we'll get, donate all our profit, whatever. Um, but either way... But what's the, profit? Like that's exactly. It. I, I, that's again, the thing, yeah. Just as a... And this, I've got no idea how it works for charities and mm. um, or anything like that, but as a consumer, I would rather know that, you know, of the $3 I've spent on this beer, 10 cents, you know, 10 cents is going to the, the, the charity as a quantifiable amount. So I actually know that, you know, mm. um, that there is a commitment to, to give that money as opposed to, you know, a percentage of our profits. Yeah. Um, and you never know what the profit is because mm. um, accountants can... <laughs> profit was whatever you make it. Yeah. <laughs> Out of interest of the cans that are providing the charity, are they being produced at Bargara or at Ballistic... <laughs> Bagara, Pete. Bagara. <laughs> now throwing this whole you have, confusion you confused in. Well, no, 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 um, no, I slowed it down because I was slowing down my thought to try and work out where is it coming from Brisbane and are they therefore selling know. it in Brisbane or is it only available at the venue? Oh. I don't It's no. It's for every can sold at the venue, so I don't think they're going to be selling them down here, but I don't ah, know where they've... Created specifically a suit to sell to a reef which uh, uh, is sold at Whit Sundays. Okay, so it's a, yeah, so like an exclusive offering, like a well, that'll yeah. be interesting because it's like packaged specific. and like well, the the, the photo um, we might have to follow that up because it was mm. there's a photo of a can, and I would presume that's going into retailers, and you'd sort of hope that that would be. Oh, I didn't even think yeah. about that. Good point, Pete. Um, have you got a, have you got a photo there of the? Of the can? Well, it came through, yeah, well, the the story ran with a can, so I wonder whether it's going in, because you'd kind of hope that it's not just if you're in the venue, mm. and then that becomes feel good for, yeah. Yeah. This is not great visual, visual theatre, but for those of you listening at home, so Matt, <laughs> can, you, can you tell by looking at that, uh, did the guys at Ballistic pick up the phone and call 1300 835 <laughs> To organise um, very efficient and uh, great labelling of their new product. <laughs> I don't and know. Does it look like it's a shrink wrap? Because I know, um, oh, who are they? Oh, Relling's label oh. stickers and packaging. Um, they often get asked, um, you know, where would where would a brewery, you know, buy a shrink, a shrink sleeve machine to apply sleeves to the cans? But um, it, you don't need to ask the question because it's it's irrelevant, really. Um, the cans come to your door palletized and ready to fill. Nothing more to do. So that number again, one three hundred eight five two two three five. Man, I wonder if that sounds like you said pelletized um, rather than palletized, given that we're on a pronunciation bent. Um, <laughs> pelletized, isn't it? I was going to say pelletized beer. That pelletized. Pelletized labels just sort of add a little bit of water and. Uh, <laughs> well, my, my, my palate is watering. <laughs> Ballistic Beer will today release its Reef Lager and Reef Pale with 10 cents from every can sold going to Airlie oh. Beach. Charity Eco Barge Clean Seas. Eco Barge uh, Clean Seas founding chair Libby Ed said the donated funds would help. Um, we're extremely I can uh, with this partnership, Ballistic Beer, Ballistic Beer, Commander in Chief. Um, everyone's got an interesting. Mm. You know, it's, so it's from every can sold. It's not. It's not suggesting that uh, well, the only well, place you can get the can. I'm not is, sure. Uh, okay, so Ballistic Beer. Maybe they do need a shrink sleeving machine. Maybe they do. Commander in chief David Kitchen, although it says co-commander, I can see it's Ballistic Beer Company, but it reads as co-commander. So I'm thinking, <laughs> ah, who's, who's, his, who's his co-commander? Um, said visitors to Ballistic Whit Sundays could donate their spare change to Eco Barge Clean Seas through a collection point at the venue. The funds regional communities are beating heart of Queensland. Um, I'm not uh, sure that Curry Mail will care about the detail of that because we published the 
press release. He said Reeflager and Reef Pale Ale would soon be available at Ballistic Bagara, where ten cents from every bottle sold through Bagara venues would be donated. We're in talks with a number of local Bundaberg not-for-profit organisations. Uh, outgoing. Uh, okay, so it is a bit consuming. So the the, the first mm. story says ten cents from, but this is where it gets confusing. So if That's I walk it. into Dan Murphy's in Brisbane mm-hmm. and assuming it's on sale there, I don't know. Um, but if it is more widely available, that's that's where it becomes a little bit confusing. So we mm. might want to we might just clarify well, that. And I know David listens, so no doubt he'll pick up the phone and. Mm. Well, they that. wouldn't they wouldn't want it to be confusing uh, to the point where people would go. Uh, if I'm not sure, I'll go with something else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But also the confusing thing with charity beers in general, like when you put stipulations like that on beers, how do you quantify it, and how do we hold you accountable yeah. <laughs> later on to that? But this is one of and and, and this is. Where for me, um, and again, this is just voicing my opinion on the podcast, um, you know, like you go to Grilled Burgers, for example, and they've, you know, it's a big company that I believe is a franchise model. So, you know, it's locally owned and things like that. But then they... All company stores, I think, Matt, still. Are are they... Okay, thank you for that correction, Pete, because this is where it's confusing. I did some work for them uh, a few years ago now, and they certainly were then. Simon Crow was the one who... um, and, and it still still heads up the company, and I'm yep. pretty sure uh, head office is in Richmond down here in Melbourne. Um, but I'm pretty sure that they're all company stores. And see, this is what to, to me why I think it's really important because you know if, if it's a nationally owned chain of stores, that then gets away from the whole idea of small and local. But yet they want to create a. You know, when you walk in, they've got their little thing where you get a bottle mm, cap and you vote yeah. where you want the donation yeah, to go yeah. to, and they so local they choose matters, a local they call it, yeah. local matters, um, which is designed to make it feel like it's well. It, it certainly does give benefits to local charities and local businesses, but it's also designed to make a business that may not be you know mum and pop store for which is the the, the term that's used. You know, there's an actual couple you know a family or a you know, local owner um, who lives in the community um, owning it it's designed to give that little bit of feeling and I just assume that it was a you know a, a franchise model where somebody lived locally um, and clearly it's not I know they do source locally so that if you go into a, a, a grilled I, I think they've trimmed it down a little bit now because I, I maybe logistically it was getting a bit difficult but um, the, the beer offering and the wine offering and the cider offering would be would, would encompass local businesses wherever they can well when they not when they started because when they did it was corona and you know mainstream beers oh, yeah. and I yeah. you know was one of the people who tweeted um, you know you talk about all being local where's your local beer selection? And um, at some point, you know, obviously there was, a, there was a bit of that and they took it on board and Stone and Wood appeared and a couple of other um, local beers. But again, as you said, Pete, as these things grow um, and particularly as, you know, investors come in and they need to look at sharpening the, you know, the, the, the cost pencil, it's cheaper to buy centrally and it's cheaper to buy on a broader scale. So these things, you know, it, it, it's often an important start to a business to, we are all about local, we're all about this. And then as they grow and as they expand and um, that changes. But that's where, trans- to, to me, transparency um, matters in being very clear about who you are, what you are, where the money's going, um, you know, that there's yeah. no room for confusion as to... and. Some of the charity beers that we've looked at, um, and going back to James Grujon, he was somebody who I really 
he appeared out of nowhere, saw beer as a thing. I gave him a very hard time um, in the early days, you know, sort of asking him hard questions about, you know, Never. who are you? It's fair to say, listeners, he did hold his feet to the fire. Well, <laughs> you know, and, and he asked me nice to be on, on, on a board of, um, you know, who were helping with the beer, or, you know, on the you know, informal group who were helping with the beer selection and suddenly my name appeared. I said, hold on, champ. I don't want my name appearing until I know you've got the runs on the board, you know, and... Uh, took it off but he is one of the people who is absolutely committed to I, I don't think he's even paid himself through his social entrepreneurship yet um and uh just does it out of this goodness um this this ideology ideology altruistic uh, altruistic yeah. bent but then there are other businesses that you know when you ask them well you say that you're giving to charity um and you know, they, they don't tell you. They sort of say, well, yeah, that's between us and our you know, charity partners. And you ask the charity partner and they say, well, we don't disclose. And you're going, well, hold on. The whole thing about your brand, you don't have a brewery, you don't have a thing. It's a charity beer. How much of this is going to charity? Um, if you're going to tell people and make them feel good and you're using it as a marketing exercise, sure, you may be wanting to commit to um, a... You know, it may be a part of your business that does good for good, but it's also a pretty handy little bit of marketing. I think the cost of that is that you are transparent, and we found it very hard to get answers out of out some of the businesses um, that do that. Anyway, no, none of this reflects on ballistic because we we no, no, haven't asked no. them the question, but clearly we will. Yeah. But <laughs> listeners uh, may have picked up that we're doing less news story and, and more below the foldy. <laughs> oh. So I, I shall say thanks very much to Crime Ultra Rellings label stickers and packaging. Uh, thank you to all of you for listening. Those who do need to get off and make money, um, those who are uh, able to walk freely around this wide brown land of ours, uh, you can go and do that now. Otherwise, uh, stick around for Below the Fold. And don't forget, you can review us on iTunes, send us in an email, uh, comment on the Facebook page, um, any sort of communication with us and you'll be in the draw. Um, Well, not in the draw, but um, we'll send you a bar bar blade. They say that my postage bill is going to be interesting little test last week. You know, when when I just said, look, anyone that emails us or contacts us, uh, you know, who's listened (laughs) to, to this point, you just have to email me your address on post your bar blade. Fair to say, a lot of people listen to the end. So <laughs> advertisers, you're getting good value. Even if, if you, you want to make it a little bit end. easier, Matt, if you get uh, Victorian ones, um, you send me the addresses and I'll, I'll post I think the, the postage is the same. That mate. I got from down here. I, yeah, I, I, I think it's the National Post. I think oh, you know, if, if you send, well, because it, it's still. I, I think it is for a normal letter, but once you get a bit of weight in it. Uh, and yeah. these are weighty. Yeah. These thirsty weighty. merch bar blades are they're quality. They are, they are quality. They're heavy. Dog bone bar yeah. blades, <laughs> yeah. absolute quality. I recommend keeping them in your handbag. Is all I'm saying. Yeah. Oh. I also mentioned the Facebook group. You can one. join our Facebook group. Just oh. search Radio Bridge News and use the password soapbox, which is my way of saying we're into the mailbag. And the mailbag is thanks to New Zealand Ale Trail. Head to www.nzaletrail, all one word, .com or at NZ Ale Trail on all the social media to find the best beer experiences in New Zealand. And we start with an email from Grant McCarran, who doesn't need a bar blade because he's a regular contributor. <laughs> but if he's got he a friend. Uh, I've no, got sharing his caring. <laughs> I've got... Thanks to our, you know, Thirsty Merch being very generous. Um, so if you have a friend that you would like to gift a Barblade to. Um, well, I don't you... know where Grant is, but I see that the first line of his 
um, email is my local BWS Blackburn North. Now I'm going to assume that that's Blackburn North in the uh, leafy eastern suburbs of Melbourne, which I can almost walk to. Oh. So I, I could drop one off in his letterbox. Okay. Oh, cool. I like that. Thrifty. Saving the saving the planet one dog bone bar blade at a time. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, would you like me to take this? Please do. Guys? Um, so Grant says, uh, my local BWS at Blackburn North has realised there's a few of us in the area who like a good session beer and have developed a range of slabs and six packs from a number of suppliers, including Three Ravens, Bolter, Bentspoke, Dainton, Gage Roads, Kaiju, Monte- oh, crap. Monteith. Is that right? Yes. Uh, Pirate Life, Stomping Ground, Stone and Wood. It's very handy for when I'm refreshing my collection of known, enjoyable session beers. Sure, they don't have a lot of new craft beers to try or an amazing range of complex stouts and the likes, but that's what places like A Point of Difference, Purvis and other craft beer sellers in Melbourne are for. Interesting. I do like that because we do talk about trying to get more craft beer in your bottle shops and that's what everyone's aiming for and things like that. But actually there is a use case for them to not be there and to go elsewhere and to go to these smaller independent retailers or go to the brewery themselves or buy straight from the brewery themselves. Like why do they all have to be in BWS and Dan Murphy? And Grant makes a good point. It's it's, it's sometimes it's about introducing people to something mm. that perhaps they would not otherwise have got. If you're just used to going to your BWS because it's attached to your woolies and so when you do your shopping, you go and grab a six-pack, whatever it is. If you just see something different and, and it's there, you know, try this, it's a local beer, um, it, it might just be the, the impetus that somebody needs to then go and seek out a point of difference or, mm. um, you know, yeah, exactly. honest promise or whatever. And particularly in lockdown, you know, when you're wearing a mask and stuff like that, um, that, that, which is how I came to notice. Like I hadn't been to a BWS for a long time. I, mm-hmm. as a rule, choose to go to local independent bottle shops that I know and buy local. And even if I'm buying, um, you know, the the things I can get everywhere, um, you know, I'm not giving myself a huge pat on the back, but just making the statement that I would rather spend a couple of dollars more on my broader range beers like a Stonewood Pacific Ale or you know or Green Coast Lager which is the, the beer that I drink um, uh, are, you, are you talking about gateway beers man no or, or, yeah but you know just the, the ones that I like to have in the fridge for when guests come over mm-hmm. you know if I just want something that I can just enjoy yeah. without you know you drink a few kind of thoughtlessly not thoughtless thoughtless thought, yeah, but yeah, yeah. you know what I mean like just, just want to enjoy easy. a good quality yeah. beer that I know has provenance um, but I would still rather give you know even though it's more expensive than Dan Murphy's, I would still rather pay for that to know that that business is going to be there. And I also know that my local independent bottle shop isn't going to be bringing out, you know, their knockoff of Furphy or their (laughs) knockoff of, you know, their... um, you know, uh, West Coast IPA, VWS, um, XPA, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, again, the pragmatist in me. It was the innovation that Stone and Wood created with Pacific Ale. You know, Bolter were the ones who really fired up the XPA um, range. It's the small independent brewers, then independent brewers, who um, are the innovators and the creators. And it's good business for Dan Murphy's, it's good business for their shareholders, it's good for consumers who don't want to invest heavily in knowing who their local bottle shops are, that they can go in. But again, I think it's ultimately damaging for the innovation and the strength of the brewing industry to have you know, a retailer vertically integrate what they know are the best performing beers. And as I said last week, 27 different SKUs, um, almost you know, closer to a half than it was to a third, competing against the biggest, and, and that was at a BWS. Um, mm-hmm. And... Because they know that they can do it cheaper, they can do it more conveniently, 
not everyone thinks yeah. the way I do, which is why I was making that point. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to capture a percentage of the market, but that's coming from yeah. another supplier yeah. who may be a small local supplier, um, and that's yeah, volume. Yeah, expense of them. That, and, uh, yeah, so all of the research and development, all of the um, you know risk um, from trying a new beer style, all of the heavy lifting mm-hmm. from that new beer style was done by a brewer who employs brewers who you know stuff like that not from somebody who's just phoning in an order mm-hmm. um, because they've got great consumer data and so they know it works and they'll keep it on until it stops working and then they'll get rid of it and it's just a bit of a throwaway thing to them it doesn't they'll, mean as much they'll, they'll just stop ordering yeah. it when they you know um and then they'll have seen what the next thing is mm-hmm. because they've and you know we we have seen small, lo- you know, genuinely small local independent brewers investing in expansion on the back of the lockdown bump that they've got through package sales and um, mm-hmm. things like that. And we've seen BWS jump on the local lover. They're loving local a whole lot less these mm. days because um, they can do it themselves. Because they can do it themselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. So again, look, good luck to them. Mm. Not not criticising, but. If I was a small local brewery, I'd be watching this very closely. Also, the other thing with that is that most of us will have been into a Dan Murphy's or a BWS or whatever. They're very standard. Like, there's no point of difference in their stores. You know where everything is. Everything looks the same. But they're reflecting a consumer need. As I said, not everyone wants to know. Like, they, a lot of people don't know that BWS is Woolworths mm. or that Liquorland yeah, is Coles. Yeah, You know, the celebrations are, you know, your, your local banner group and, you know, those sorts yeah. of things. So you'd, that is the consumer. Again, that's where the consumer, the demand for craft beer is much wider, um, as I said, but it's much shallower. Mm-hmm. People don't care. They don't – BWS has sent it down Huey, which is a – um, actually, we should ask them how much they've donated to. Um, oh, we should because that's been a few months. Now, send it down, it? Huey, mm. is their local lager that is designed purely to be a. Um, you know, if you walk in there and go, oh yeah, I want to give my ten cents to the farmers. Um, would love to find out how much they've uh, they've given. Yeah, good idea. I like that. I like that a lot. And it also sort of uh, just a, the last point on that one because I know we can witter on about it for ages. Um, we did a brewery pro piece the other week, and it was very practical very much aimed at brewers and it was talking about how you can use your deliveries and your own personal sales channels and things like that to enhance your brand you can't do that when you're piled in next to every other person there's no differentiation you just stacked next to other people there's no way to make that space more your own um and I think that in that respect you know <laughs> we, I do like a BWS and a Dan Murphy's. I'll not lie. Sorry, don't boo me. Um, but they are the closest one to me, so I have to deal with it. But from a branding perspective, it can't be that good um, to be chucked in along with everybody else and then have that confusion um, that Matt was talking about. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes, and maybe I'll ask them um, what percentage of your brands, your craft beer brands, are private label, and what percentage are. I wonder if they tell me that. Probably not. Uh, I, I don't think Probably I would, not. but you know, can, we could can just we can you know, send out our army of you know. Yeah, go into your local beat up. Don't buy anything because find your local. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. If you want to buy, gander. again, take if, a If you don't care about the future of craft beer, buy wherever you want. Um, but Ooh, guilt. <laughs> well, guilt. No, well, yeah, yeah. I know, know but mean. a lot of people don't. Mm. Um, and and good luck to you if you just want um, the if the selection in your local BWS is good enough for you and you 
Um, don't really care that a lot of craft breweries are going to close down over the next few years because. <laughs> oh my god, Matt, you made me feel terrible in about five seconds. Well, no, <laughs> well, no, because a lot of craft brewers clearly don't care about it mm. either, which is why they don't care about yep. putting clear and transparent labelling on their products. Yes. Um, because you know, how's how's a consumer that doesn't have a deep connection to the industry going to know where the products are from if? Independent craft brewers don't, you know, draw the line in That's the sand it. about what is acceptable labelling. That's it. Um, so, look, at, again, it's a whole lot of craft brewers <laughs> contributing to their own demise, Ooh. in my humble opinion. IMHO. Yeah, they can check the labelling and see if it's uh, Rellings label stickers. And, oh, I've already done that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, they, well, but, efficient, Pete. but can they check the labelling, Pete? Well, they you can know? check the labelling and they might find that in the near future um, there's going to be uh, less room for the artwork and more room for... Uh, Government demanded information uh, like <laughs> the uh, the calorie content That's nutrition panel, Claire. That's the one. Brett says I listened to this week's podcast today on my way to collect some crafties and was quite concerned about the impacts to the industry when you discussed caloric testing on all beers. I don't know what's involved in the process of caloric testing, but the need to test each beer presumably presumably at the skew level, certainly adds another cost into the equation. This creates a much larger penalty disincentive for breweries such as Range that are constantly creating new recipes as opposed to breweries like Black Ops that rely more on their core range. Pun intended. Not pun. Anyway, uh, also... Range, core range. Oh, okay, all right. Uh, Also, if the requirements of caloric testing create an additional delay between starting a batch of beer and selling the finished product to customers, this could stretch the brewery's working capital and cash flow even further. Not ideal. Well, and that's exactly the issue. And I think that the the IBA and the Brewers Guild of New Zealand raised those exact points. Like, these are the issues... They're like, oh yeah, just slap it on; it'll be easy. You feel like, from an Sans point of view, that they just think, oh, why is this so difficult? Like, you should be able to do this easily, and maybe the major brewers would be able to do that easily. And I think a lot of them do, at least to a certain level. Um, but from a small scale, I just don't think they understand the challenges for a small brewery to be able to do that. That's just crackers. Yeah, I, I just think be careful what you wish for, because I think if we start putting nutrition panels on beers then you can compare one to another. And if one has less or fewer than the other, can I then claim that I'm making a healthier choice? Well, is one beer then healthier? Exactly, exactly. But by definition. Yep. And, and by implied definition. As with all of these considerations, it's incredibly complicated. And, and, and there are, and that's where, like, I, I think I um, gave the impression of supporting energy labelling on beers recently um, in, yeah. in the podcast when we talked about it. Maybe it was when you were on leave and mm-hmm. that, that wasn't my intention. But at the moment you do have, you know, when you've got some brewers who are doing a different beer every fortnight of every month and, you know, the, the, the cost of um, getting those beers tested. Um, but then again, the cost of getting labels done for every new beer is expensive and the cost, you know... Unless you use Rowling's label stickers. Unless you use Rowling, <laughs> which is incredibly cheap and effective. But... Then you've also got some brewers who are choosing to put energy labelling on voluntarily because it gives them a marketing advantage. Um, and, you know, it, it does become confusing. And, you know, again, as a consumer, I do want to, you know, like if I've got a zero-alcohol beer that's telling me it's a healthy choice mm-hmm. um, or, I've, or, or I've got a seltzer that's telling me that it's, um, you know, better for my waistline because yeah. it's, you know, it's still got alcohol in but... Um, just doesn't have things so it's yeah it, it, this and, and, and this is where I keep coming back to the messaging that you choose you may not see how it's connected to 
things that are two and three steps away, but the industry is a spider's web. And if you pull one end of it, you're going to be, you know, sort of pulling at a completely disconnected um, strand um, at the same time. Beautiful so, anachron- <laughs> anachronism. Anachronism or anachronism? An no, acronym? Arachnid. Arachnid. Arachnid analogy. Oh, brilliant. But I do think there's a lot of, um, from an F sounds point of view, I think there's a lot of covering their own asses. They're told, right, well, you've got to do something about obesity, pregnant women drinking, whatever. And they're like, well, what the hell do you want us to do about it? Like, uh, this is like an institutionalized thing. Like, we need to go much deeper than a label on a can. But what can F sounds do? If they're told, to, given a brief by the higher ups to be like, this is what you have to do, you have to fix this. And they're like, well, but this we haven't is got where- control over any of it. You know, like alcohol and things, you know, um, FAIR sees their ability as, sees their need to scare people into not drinking. Mm -hmm. People are concerned about health. If you give them information, they will make decisions. Um, And, you know, depending on how you market, you know, uh, as we've seen, whenever it was, you know, when fat was the evil, everything became low fat. Mm. When things were low fat already, um, <laughs> but then if if you take the fat out of something, you've got to you can't take something out without putting something else in, mm-hmm. and it became sugar, and then it be, you know there's always something um, to be there. But you, so you need to educate people, and labelling is a way to do that. But you know whether it's on the label or on the website, and if people do care about it, they can go on the website. So, but then it's still testing, and you know it's it, it, it's very very complicated. And if people don't have the information, um, then it's a lot easier for marketers who want to skirt the rules to get around it, and that's when you get a distorted marketplace. And our last letter, Claire, kind of touches on a lot of the stuff we've uh, discussed. Yeah, it does, actually. Um, So Steve Hodkin in the Facebook group said, in this day and age, who has time to omenar over 100 different varieties of dense experimental drops? This was a quote from the recently posted boss hunting article. I'm not sure what boss hunting is. It looks like lad Bible. Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it is. Um, Anyway, it was a bit of a crappy piece of journalism uh, about the resurgence of uh, traditional beer brands. And then he goes on to say what we were just discussing about uh, Pinnacle Drinks and Tribe pumping out new brands for Downs and BWS like Colossal Brewing, Huey, um, all that kind of stuff. Um, are they deliberately trying to confuse the market and dilute the interest in the genuine independent craft breweries? I don't know if that's their primary goal. I think they're more like, oh, well... So what will be good for our profit margin? It's I think not going to hurt their bottom line if, it, if philosophically it's a, about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, again, what, funnily enough, if it's collateral damage, yeah, it's not yeah. going to hurt That's their bottom exactly line. That's exactly what it is. Collateral or, damage. Or, or, well, no. But if, you, if you happen to confuse the audience and they happen to buy your beer accidentally when they were, thought they were buying an independent beer, yeah. mm. but it's it's the reverse of what we see. What what we saw with craft beer. You know, craft beer is better than that big stream industrial muck. And you've got a lot of brewers who are making their craft beer exactly the same way as the, you know, high gravity brewing is increasingly common in the, the craft world, you know, where you brew it at a higher ABV and then, you know, for, for consistency. Very efficient way of doing it. It's a very efficient mm. way of doing it. But that was always one of the things that craft brewers, oh, you know, those big guys, they brew it at 7% and then water it down as if, it, as, if, as if it's a bad thing. And then it's not a bad thing because craft brewers are doing it. You know, so this is just a reverse of that, where they're just there is an audience of people, and we see it in the Russia's Appreciation Society, who are anti-craft beer, and they want to be pandered to that 
the traditional beer is the stuff that they want, not this Mamby Pam. And remember, VB did the you know, man, the metrosexual, the anti-metrosexual ads a couple of years ago. It was before your time, Claire. Uh, I see you're searching for it. Uh, where my brain. the guy was the the, the guy was moisturising his hands, and oh, his yeah. mate threw him a can of beer, and it slipped out of his hands. He <gasps> couldn't open it. You know, it was all mentioned moisturise. That's a ridiculous advert. But <laughs> that was a thing. But there was a you know it was going to the tradie type who you know I don't mm, pluck oh, my oh, eyebrows oh, yeah. and oh, <laughs> you know I love having a monobrow and um, stuff like that. And it was and th- this is just that yeah. the the thing that I wasn't entirely sure about was you know, the the insignificant bump in growth in some of the traditional beers, mm. whether that means the death of craft beer. <laughs> well, because that's what the article's trying to say, but then they didn't have any comparisons to craft beer. And I was like, so we're just supposed to take it fr- from you, the random journalist at Bossington, the traditional brand. Anyway, it was so stupid. But it it's it's stupid clickbait. And, yeah. and and again, like the number of people who shared it, it, it has been in my Google news feed really? solidly for two weeks oh. now. So it had come in because Google knows, you know, mm. that I search for drinks. Yeah, yeah. But then it keeps re-entering my Google news feed because obviously it was SEO gold for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the sort of thing where people who love craft beer have been sharing go, oh, look yeah. at this girl. Yeah, yeah, because they're so vocal about and it. And then people who mm-hmm. love mainstream beers, you know, are sharing it with their craft drinking, you know, namby-pamby yeah. mates going, oh, look at you, <laughs> you little... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, non-gendered um, mates um, and things like that. But it's it's gold and that's where so much of the news that we see is you know so much of the inverted commas news that it, that is online is geared around clickbait and SEO mm-hmm. and um, to rile people up on purpose to rile people up providing on both sides of it in a balanced way and that's where listicles and you know uh, mainstream beer and so you watch there'll be a stack of other articles as everyone else as everyone that's competing with boss hunting like mm-hmm. Lad Bible and stuff like that are going to want to have their you know um, I- equivalent of it mm-hmm. so they don't get clear space in them yeah so yeah journalism what's it come to yeah well that's we can only fight the fight that we fight (laughs) you know Um, i'm happy to do that we don't sponsor (laughs) we don't clickbait headlines Mm. and things like that so don't do listicles oh god don't never make me do the news that you need to know Exactly, <laughs> um, and 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 a lot of this <laughs> this wittering as well. This, this wittering that <laughs> a very small group of um, people need to. It isn't on the notes, but we've got a few minutes. So I've just this morning read an interesting article. I think it was on the ABC, but it was like a big shiny. They done it all up and it had great graphics and stuff okay. on it and it was about the wine industry and the natural wine i shared that on the facebook did you see group. that yeah. oh, no, i shared I, that on the facebook oh no group. i didn't click from yours though that yeah. was weird oh i didn't realize you'd said oh you'd posted it on there anyway so read that this morning very interesting stuff um because obviously natural wine not putting additives like uh was it sodium dioxide in well, it and things well, like that that, that was, was like, a what? point that i made when i, I read that article in oh, the facebook good, group so i sort of said yeah no i said um <laughs> You know, I wonder. So, all of these mm. natural winemakers are now sort of talking about, and it, like natural wine has been, you know, at least on my radar, and I'm not a wine enthusiast mm-hmm. for seven or eight years. You know, just as craft beer was in the fringes of beer drinkers, and then around 2010, probably exploded, and we saw more and more breweries, and more and more people doing it. So, maybe natural wines going through that growth at the moment. Mm. And so my comment was, I wondered how long till natural winemakers start throwing <laughs> lactose in and um, you <laughs> know, making boysenberry natural wine and <laughs> stuff like that because that seems to be the arc. At the moment, it's all 
debating, well, what is natural wine? It's we're purer, we're better, we're sort yep. of, we only use clay amphoras the way That's the ancient it. Romans did, which <laughs> is one of the things I've seen. Um, we probably should get James Atkinson on too, because he would be... He'd um, know all about that, and I thought that was such an interesting parallel. I don't know whether it's got to the point where it's gone all the way around again, the wine industry then, and then... Funnily enough, it'll the, keep going. It first came on my like because uh, like orange wines and things mm. like that, which are a little bit vibe. Where again, my local independent bottle shop that knows these things was, oh, I'll try this, and you know there was mm. stuff, and the wines had a slight vinegar tank to them, which mm. isn't what your normal uh, you know suave um, has, or you know your Vermentino. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing was when I poured into a glass, and it was hazy, and it was oh. floaty, and. Oh. I, when I talked about it with them, oh, you know, that's because they don't filter, they don't use yeah, icing yeah. glass, you know, it's because it's vegan and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Um, but then I started Googling it and seeing that there were, you know, you can make a natural wine or an organic wine or an um, orange wine that looks very much like a traditional wine. Mm-hmm. But how does the consumer who wants to, A, know, and, mm-hmm. you know, secondly, feel better about you know let all of their friends know that they're drinking natural wine can communicate that and that's where you know having a little bit of haze in your wine glass when you sort of drink it in (laughs) a glass authenticity it's just like the crown lager effect you know (laughs) so having the gold shaped bottle that lets everyone know you're drinking a like a premium beer um that you can't in a non-branded glass Mm. and um that's where i sort of think it's a big part of what the hazy beer thing is, you know, my beer is hazier than yours. So, um, not everybody, and that's I'm sure there's just a, a slight element of that. But I yeah, thought it yeah. was quite funny. So that is interesting. And the other thing as well is that in that article they were like, well, and as you've said, Matt, natural wine doesn't have a proper definition. Everyone disagrees on what it Craft means. Never had but a that proper, yeah. exactly, and that's what that means. It's like open to interpretation, which can be good. You can do all sorts of different things in that. It leaves it to be a bit flexible, but it also means that it can be open to manipulation mm-hmm. and exploitation because people are like, well, no, but there's no definition. So it is, it is whatever we say it is. And as you say, if you're not educated enough to know or just have a life to live and don't have time to look into it, then, you know, you can easily be hoodwinked by stuff like that. But if that's, that's what you care about the, as a buyer. Uh, Rein Heitzgebot, the German, mm. uh, did I pronounce that correctly, Pete? Yeah. Correct. Well, what we're I've definitely been pronouncing that wrong. But yeah, like um, the, 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 that's was always the um, the Germans had the Reinheitsgebot, the beer purity law, and then the Belgians go, yeah, but you can't use coriander, you can't use <laughs> orange peel, you know, you, you can't all this good stuff, uh, you yeah. know, use use these things, and so you can't have these, and that was the mm-hmm. and if you too slavishly adhere to something, it can become you know calcified and boring if you. Yeah throw in too much stuff you can have the stuff that we have all of this fun with that's going through its flowering at the moment mm-hmm. and you know both are right that's where it doesn't matter it's, so it's all um you know uh what, what you want to do do you want to have a definition for organic wine basically um, nothing matters nothing means anything anymore. the problem is when <laughs> yeah, and i'm going to get kelvin's hackles raised here pete when i said when the market is debauched the term um, and it just becomes something that is used to flog units to people who have a very shallow care about you know they just want to feel that they're drinking craft beer or feel that they're drinking organic wine or you know whatever and they don't actually know what the definition is a marketer which is when you start seeing you know crafted kettle chips you know um you know um, some of the supermarket products that you get that you know these Chips are crafted, oh. you know, using the sea salt from... My favourite one's like the ancient grains and ancient stuff like that grains, at the minute. Yeah. They make me laugh <laughs> so much. <laughs> but that's where the marketers go. And yeah. 
<laughs> oddly enough, they tend to be the things that are in the supermarkets that, you know, you know, have a charity beer, have a ancient grains <laughs> beer, have a um, because they know what consumers sell. So they've got a gluten free beer, they've got a you know yeah. anyway. Mm. But we're all guilty of a bit of marketing. Yes, that's true. That is true. Pete, take us home. Uh, yes, please yeah. do. Uh, shout out to Carl. He'll be happy that Matt didn't confuse advertisers with marketers that time around. Yes, that's which fair. is which is the key. <laughs> well, according to Kelvin. <laughs> Thank you very much to Cryomalt, our good friends at Cryomalt, to Rellings Label Stickers and Packaging, and to our friends at New Zealand Ale Trail and Thirsty Merchants for um, looking after our uh, our barbades. Yeah, dog bone bar blades. <laughs> but they can look after a much wider of needs for you than just your bar blades. Oh, you're good, you. That was added extra. Well done. Yeah, so look after each other up there. And uh, particularly a shout out to our, our friends uh, who are experiencing lockdown. You know, like most other things in life, this too shall end. So uh, stick it out. And, uh, you know, it's a good opportunity to, to stock up, to use use the, ex- the excuse to stock up your fridge. Because if you're spending less on petrol and uh, holidays and fun stuff. Uh, you can always <laughs> you channel well those extra funds like I did into your local breweries. Yeah. Uh, share the love around. So that's it for this episode of Brews News Week. I've been your host, Pete Mitchum. Thanks very much, Matt. Thanks, Claire. Thanks, Pete. Cheers, Pete. And until next week, when we hope to have your ear again, uh, drink fresh, drink local, look after yourselves and each other and wash your damn hands. And we're out. Boom. Don't forget, if you like what we do here at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You'll find details in the show notes. You can also review us on iTunes or whatever your favourite podcasting service happens to be. Let us know what you think and help others find and discover our shows. Finally, you can tell us what you think about what's going on in the beer industry by emailing us at producer at brewsnews.com.au. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover because, as you may have heard, beer is a conversation. Beer.